Good morning, everyone. I am so glad that you're here today. This is a very special day for a lot of reasons. Uh, Master's Commission is a full-time discipleship program, and we have to also offer um, a, a college courses for accredited college credit uh, to go to these young people. It's an incredible thing that God has opened up for us, and we enjoy doing it. Standing in front of you today are Charles and Lou McCullough, two of, of our heroes. Because, let me tell you this, all of their life they have done Master's Commission everywhere they've ever gone. Not by the name, but by training up disciples on the mission field and with American servicemen in Germany. They today minister in one of the Alabama prisons where they disciple believers and take them through college courses literally all the way up to doctoral programs. I want to tell you, standing in front of me are heroes of the faith. They are. Today, we would like to make Charles and Lou McCullough actual graduates of Birmingham Metro Master's Commission. <laughs> We want you to know that we recognize that you do everything that we've ever done and more, and we still look up to you on the hill, and we appreciate so much the, the steps that we can follow that you've laid out. And so you are Master's Commission graduates, and you don't even have to do a human video to get there. <laughs> we just want to say that to you. I just want to say this morning, uh, I don't know anybody anywhere that has been more committed or faithful to God's mission and calling on their life than these two. That's right. And, and it's, this is a good thing that you did today, and this is a good thing that you guys do. God will honor this church because we honor what he honors. And I want you to give these guys one more great big hand and let them know how grateful you are for their life. Ha-ha, <laughs> I got them. They usually figure things out. <laughs> Let me have just a few minutes with you this morning. This is actually not, other than Charles and Lou, this is not the graduation of our students. We graduated them. But uh, I've got a message I believe God gave me to share with you. I've been a student of psychology and counseling for a long time. I teach the counseling curriculum at, at Master's Commission. I especially enjoy the way that psychologists divide people into these groups. You know, there's the introverts or the extroverts. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Type A personality, type B personality. Thinkers are dreamers. Hard side, soft side. We, there are a million different ways that people get divided into camps. Camp A and Camp B. Sometimes people are relegated into that group by their genetic makeup. Sometimes it's by uh, their socioeconomic strata that they're in. Sometimes it's education. Sometimes it's family upbringing. 
Of course, we know that for every type A personality and type B personality, there is a type C, D, E, F, and Z. We know that. Nobody fits perfectly into little boxes like that. It's not an exact science. It's not really science at all. It's observation. When people, when people are called those things, it's really by observation. You're not born and they go, oh, look, it's a type A. It's observation of their life that determines those things. In almost 40 years of ministry, and at least for the last 21 in Master's Commission, I have tried to observe people closely. Today what I want to do is I want to just look at two groups of people among the many groups people could be divided into, two groups of people in the Bible who fit into these two psychological camps, okay? If you've been around for a while, especially if you've been in church for a while, you're going to be familiar with the mindsets I'm talking about today. Um, Or here they are. Uh, Over here, we're going to have the group of people, I'm just going to call them compliant. You know, the compliant people. Generally, the compliant people are more religious, more conservative, cautious, don't rock the boat. Their sins and talents are usually more hidden, both their sins and their talents. Rules for them are made to keep. Now, on the positive side, those compliant people, all, the, all of you compliant people over here, compliant people are positively are more, usually more successful. They have less dysfunction in their families and their lives. They're unselfish. They tend to live longer. They create stability. But on the negative extreme of compliance are people that judge other people harshly. They make rules for everyone instead of just keeping rules themselves. They are harsh on themselves and on others. They can become codependent with people that have problems. They can become very unhappy and very miserable. You know what I'm talking about. Now, over here is the second group of people. We're going to call them the contrary people. Compliant, contrary. Now, I'm not, I'm not shooting at you guys. We're just going to let your side represent contrary. Now, when I was a kid, that's what my mother used to say. Mark, you're being contrary. No, no, she didn't say that. She said, you're being contrary. The accent was on the trary. Anybody, anybody was contrary sometimes? Okay, we've all been a little of these in our lives. Contrary people are usually sort of free-thinking, adventurous, individualistic. Their sins and their talents are usually very visible, and they're proud of that. For them, rules are things to find a way around. On the positive side, those people are creative, they're fun-loving, Compassionate, tolerant, forgiving, easygoing, non-judgmental. <laughs> but on the negative extreme, they're poor decision makers. They foster dysfunction in relationships. They use people. They can be rebellious, emotional basket cases. Irreligious. They tend to live shorter lives. <laughs> now you can spot a compliant kid 
when they're a toddler. The compliant kid is the one that says to the other kid, my turn! And then they cry and look to mom to take it away from that kid and give it back to me. My turn! Now, the contrary kid, the contrary kid is the one that says, mine! Snatches it and runs. When parental discipline comes in as a teenager, it's the compliant kid that says, Dad, that's not fair. That's not fair is their favorite phrase. (laughs) The contrary kid is the one that says, whatever. (laughs) Duh. Both types of people can have friends. They can be loving they can have good jobs. They can be wealthy or poor. They can be Christians. <laughs> they can be smart or not smart. They can be fat or skinny. They can be brown, black, or white. It doesn't matter. That everybody has parts of this in their lives. In the Bible, uh, we see that Jesus came in a world full of all those groups of people, those different groups and all the mixtures of those people. He had 12 disciples, and they encompassed the whole thing. On one extreme, you have James and John. They were the compliant ones. I'm going to get close to Jesus. I'm going to satisfy Jesus. I'm going to be compliant with him. I'm going to do whatever he says. I'm going to be the one sitting by him at the table. And when he comes into his kingdom, we're going to sit on the right and on the left. And you know where they got that? Because their mama taught it to them. Remember, mama's the one that said, hey, look, I've got two boys. They're with you. I want them one on the right and one on the left. You get to choose which one goes where. And then on the other end, the contrary ones, you've got Simon Peter and Thomas, doubting Thomas. And Simon Peter, who was loud, boisterous, an emotional wreck, usually went against the grain. Now, what I'm trying to say, Jesus never came to offer this one-size-fits-all Uh, psychological profile for godly people. If you're a godly person, then this is the exact way you're going to be. I know that Jesus didn't come to do that. He met people right where they are, in whatever combination they were, in whatever place they were, and he followed the directive of the Holy Spirit as to how to minister to that person. He wanted to point them to the Father. The one thing both groups Over here, the compliant people and the contrary people. You know what they have in common? They need the Father's love. They need the Father. They need the Father to fulfill their purpose in life. There was a story about a a famous pastor. And uh, uh, his wife gave him a call one day at, at the office and said, Hey... You know, we, we've got a, a child has a birthday, and we, we've got to go down to the mall and get him a birthday present. Come on, you've got to go with me. He goes, oh, honey, I don't want to go. You do that. No, we've got to do this together. He said, okay. So he got in the car. As he was walking to the car, he, in the parking lot, he looked down, and he, he, he saw a penny and just picked up this penny and thought, good grief. Somebody threw a penny away. It's not worth a whole lot, but <laughs> put it in his pocket. When he got in the car, uh, he, he just thought, you know what? I, I don't need to pick up every penny. That's sort of stingy of me. <laughs> uh, maybe somebody left it there. So uh, he was driving to the mall, and 
When he got to the, to the place, he had to park way away from the mall, and he had to cross a couple of streets to get there. And sure enough, he's, he's walking across this busy street, and he looks down, and lo and behold, if he doesn't see another penny on the ground, he stops, and cars are coming because the light has changed, but he runs back, and for some reason, picked up that penny and stuck it in his pocket. thought, hmm, I wonder if God's trying to teach me something today. When do you ever notice pennies on the ground? Well, he went in the mall, and he did what he was supposed to do. He held his wife's purse while she chose what they were going to buy. And as he's standing there in the mall, what does he see? In the middle of a busy mall with people walking all around it, a penny. He thinks, good grief, there's, some, there's a theme here. So he walks over and he picks that penny up and he puts it in his pocket. Now it's a game. Now he's, he's got to find out why he's seeing so many of these pennies. Well, it was a long stay at the mall and he had to go to the bathroom. Yep. He went in the bathroom and, pardon, but he's, he's at the urinal. And he looks in the urinal and there is a penny. <laughs> Luckily, he's the only guy in there and he goes and gets paper towel and he reaches down and he pulls the penny out washes it off real good wraps it up and puts it in his pocket now it's a real game and God began to speak to him as he was driving back to the office God said to him now where was it you found those pennies well one was in a church parking lot one was on a on a busy street, dangerous place. One was in a busy mall with people going about doing their thing. And one was in the worst place possible. Nasty place. They, they may not have been in, found in the same place, but they all have the same exact value. Whether you found it in the church parking lot or the urinal in the mall. On the street or in the busy marketplace. They all have exactly the same value. You see, people may not seem like much to us. We judge them and stick them in the boxes. Well, this kind of person is more valuable than this kind of person. And this person's background keeps them being as valuable. But God doesn't count people the way we count them. God sees them just like that guy I saw those pennies. It doesn't matter where you picked up the penny. The value is exactly the same. God doesn't count people the way we do. Mother Teresa was asked one time by some people who went to visit her in Calcutta, India. You know, she, she ministered to, to the worst of the worst in the, in the slums of India. And somebody said to her, Mother Teresa, how do you not get overwhelmed with the millions of people, how can you minister to a city like Calcutta? She said, one person at a time. God counts people differently than we do. One at a time. God values people more than anything else. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, every year I'm, I'm amazed, and over the years I've been amazed at how, how God sends us incredible young people to come here from all over the nation and even the world for Master's Commission. Some of them are 
church kids from incredibly strong, wonderful, healthy families. And some of them were virtually throwaway kids. You know, the ones that everyone's too busy to pour their lives into. And all of them, uh, well, none of them are perfect. Many of them are hurting or wounded or gifted and talented. And, but they're all valuable. They're all exactly the same value. And God brings them here. God has called us to bring value to people. To value them like God values them. Whether they be in our, our ministry or whether they be out there, God loves people more than anything. Jesus told an incredible story in the Bible that tells that truth. And I want you to look at it with the background of what I've said. This may be a true story, but most likely it's, it's, a, it's a parable based on a parable that was told before Jesus ever told it. It's about a man and he had two sons. One was a compliant son and one was contrary. There's an incredible message for both boys. So in this room, we're all covered with this message, okay? Now let's, let's read the scripture. Luke 15, 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of my estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got a hold got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went. He hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill the stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He came near the house, heard music and dancing. He called one of his servants and said, what's going on? Well, your brother's come, he said, and your father's killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, and he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him. My son, father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Okay. So in the story, we have a father and two boys. The compliant one and the contrary one. The contrary one says, give me my inheritance. Now. Now, Daddy, now. Now, I'm sure the compliant son over here goes, 
What is your problem? What is your problem? Dad is not dead yet. And he says, I don't care. Whatever. I want my inheritance now. And see, the law was that in, th- in this day and time, when a son was born, the son literally became the heir immediately. He, he became a joint owner of everything with the father because he was one of the father's sons. He immediately had that. And so no one would dishonor their father by getting the inheritance before dad died. If you did that, that was an awful dishonor. So, so the, compliant son, I mean, the compliant son goes, Brother, why are you dishonoring dad like that? Why? And he goes, whatever. So he got his way. Got his way. It was all so wrong. Now think about it. What this guy did was wrong. So wrong. It felt wrong. It looked wrong. It seemed wrong. It was wrong. And he did it anyway. Parents, sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens and it's not your fault. (laughs) Sometimes they just make up their mind and they do the wrong thing. Now the question is, are you going to do the right thing after that? It was so wrong. First of all, it was wrong timing. Come on. It was wrong timing. He was going to get the inheritance. He was going to get the full inheritance. But now was not the right time to do that. He wasn't mature enough to handle an inheritance, duh, obviously. He was not mature enough to be able to handle it. But he was bullheaded enough to charge ahead anyway. And that is so typical of a a young person, especially a contrary one. (laughs) They're just bullheaded. I'm going to do it anyway. No, don't make the mistakes that that I made. Well, if you made them, then I want to make them too. They have no idea the pain they're causing themselves. And we know that. And as a parent, you're looking at your kid going, oh, no, you don't know what you're doing here. You don't know what you're doing. You can't know. I'm going to do it anyway. Bullheaded. That's what happened. Wrong timing. Hey, how about the wrong place to go? Hey, this was not a safe, loving place like he grew up in. He went where wild children are. (laughs) He went to a crazy place where there was no restriction, no accountability. He could do whatever he wanted to do. Sounds like heaven, doesn't it? Until he got there. I I like where the kid was having a hard time with his parents' rules and says, I'm leaving. I'm going to join the Marines. (laughs) Let me tell you what. You know what's necessary for a quality of life? Restrictions and accountability. For the rest of your life. For all of our lives. That's why God gives us his law. That's why God gives us the Bible. That's why God gives us families that we're responsible for. Kids that we take care of. And husbands and wives that are faithful to one another. What is that? That's restriction and accountability. And it's the best way to live life. It is. On top of all that, he formed wrong relationships. Listen, the kind of people he surrounded himself with over in Wildville over here, that is not the kind of people he needed to be around. I mean, think about it. The Bible says he spent everything on riotous living. Riotous living. Listen, show me your friends today and I'll show you your future. Now, that is the truth. That is always the truth. Uh, sometimes it's funny you counsel these these. Um, these people and they, they go, hey, uh, I've got the, these are my friends, but hey, look, they all smoke pot, but I don't. 
you know, we go out together and all, they smoke pot, they drink, I don't. And you're going, don't lie. Don't lie, that's not true. <laughs> if they're your best friends, you're going to be just like them. Well, this guy didn't know that. He thought, I can do what I want to. I'm free now. I can make good decisions. He doesn't even know what a good decision is because he's contrary. Well, he spent everything. He wasted everything. He lost everything. He was in a bad place, and then a famine shows up. Now, isn't that great timing? Not only do you lose everything, you can't even get a job. Can't get a job. Well, he, he had a job, but it was an awful job. It was a job that only the lowest of the slaves do, and he was feeding pigs, and he was a Jewish boy, and you weren't supposed to do that. The Bible says this, no one gave him anything. Where did his so-called friends go? You know what? They didn't have anything to give. I'll tell you, this is the truth. When you do what this boy did, when you do what, what old uh, uh, Contrary did, you, you don't have any friends because they don't have anything to give you. When you're in a mess, they have nothing to help you with your mess. Have you, have you looked at just the life of Hollywood stars lately? They find themselves spiraling down, and who gives them advice? The other stars who are spiraling down. Oprah. They go on The View and learn how to live their life. Are you kidding? They have nothing to give. This week, Master's Commission uh, worked a fundraiser down at Sloss Furnace. It was a big event for Mercedes-Benz uh, dealers all over the world. And, and I sat there. I helped, and it was, it was fun, and we, and we worked, and we, it was really sort of a bonding time for everybody. But we all sort of came away with this one thing. We sat there and watched. I was talking to Kim. We sat there and watched and said, these people have everything in the world money-wise, and they are as empty as anybody in this world. They are completely empty, bankrupt, bankrupt. And their lives, even though they, their penny may have been in a penthouse, was no different than the penny in the urinal. They had spiraled down exactly the same. I sat there and watched it, grieved. Now, I noticed this also, folks. The compliant people didn't go looking for him either. All right, we're over here, we're, we're, we're sort of, contrary dude has messed his life up. But compliant people are over here, and what are they doing? I have a feeling compliant brother is going, I've got this brother, he's so stupid. He left the house, his life is spiraling down, there's no doubt he is going to be in complete destruction. He's like saying that, and I'm sure he's going to be totally disappointed if that doesn't happen. Because here he is, he's over here, they're all in their huddle going, can you believe what contrary did? Can you believe what he did? And so compliant people are all over here, all over here talking about, man, this, is, this guy, he... He deserves everything he gets. He deserves everything he gets. They didn't go looking for him either. So we have another problem. He's probably telling everybody how rebellious his prodigal brother was. Just like Jonah, he's going to be mad if it doesn't come true. Now, meanwhile, contrary boy starts coming to his senses. It's amazing how famines and things like that make people start thinking. You know, like no food makes you start thinking. So contrary boys over here, he's thinking, I am starving to death. I know the servant, the lowest servant at my dad's house has plenty to eat. And I don't have anything. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you what I'll do. I, I got a plan. I'm going to go back. I'm going to fall on my knees. I'm going to look pitiful. 
And I'm not going to ask dad to restore me. I'm just going to say, dad, just hire me. Just hire me. Let me, let me live in the lean-to next to the servants' quarters, please. And, and he, he says, the Bible even says, he, he came to his senses and said, I've got to go home. One of my favorite movies in the whole world is called Places in the Heart. Uh, Sally Field is in it. It's, it's an incredible movie, Places in the Heart. And there's my favorite scene. It's, it's in, in the Great Depression, and there's this tornado coming. And there's this little guy, and uh, he's, he's like about eight years old. And he's, he's been at school, and the tornado's coming, and they're trying to get everybody. And, and he realizes mom's at the house by herself. And this responsible guy starts running down the street, and this, this family that's in a car goes, goes uh, Hey, come get in the car. There's a tornado coming. And the little boy, my favorite line, the little boy goes, I can't. I gotta go home. That's what this guy's doing. He's going, I gotta go home. He came to his senses and he said, Now what am I gonna do? So I'm, he's walking home. He's thinking, Now this is what I'm gonna do. This is my plan. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fall on my knees. I'm gonna start crying at that point. I, 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 if I could, maybe, maybe on the way home, they'll give me like a Snickers or something because I'm so hungry. So he's planning the whole thing. And he's saying, Boy, am I an idiot? I've got to tell him, I, I've sinned. I've sinned against God and him. I've got, I've, I've got to have the whole package. I've got to present it just right to win his affection. Now, there's a story that you don't, may not know about. This prodigal son story up to this point is not new for anybody listening to Jesus. They have all heard this story when they went to synagogue school growing up as a kid. But let me tell you how the story that they heard ended. In, in, the, in the rabbinical version, it's, it's located in all the, the, the teaching and actually even in the Talmuds, which were sort of the Sunday school lessons of the time. All the kids have heard this story. Everything's the same up to this point. And they all, when they said he was feeding pigs, they all went, oh, oh he is bad off. In the story that they've heard, all the fathers are standing at the city gate. That's where fathers gathered. That's where the men gathered at the city gate. They had court out there. They, they talked business and all this kind of stuff. And every day they would go gather at the city gate. In the story, the son returns and, and all the men at the gate say, Hey, look. Hey, Aaron, there's your boy. There's your boy. What are you going to do? The father stands there and waits. The son goes to him. The son falls on his face. The son begs for forgiveness. And this is what happens. And the father raises his hand. And when the father raises his hand, that means everybody be quiet. And then in front of everybody, the father looks at him, turns his palm to him, and says, you're dead to me. And he turns away. And all the men take off their sandal and hit him. That's the story that all of them heard. And you know why that story's told? That story's told so that the little kids will gasp and go, I better never run away from home. I better better never violate that. If you violate that, if you dishonor your dad like that, God's going to get you and you'll never get out of it. It was a rabbinical story about the terrible consequences of rebellion. Everyone focused on the bad boy, and the bad boy crossed the line 
And now he's reaping the consequences and it serves him right and justice is done. And everybody knows that story. It was a valuable deterrent to keep kids from falling into rebellion. It served its purpose. Fear. Don't cross dad. God will get you. Everyone knew that story. It even happens today in Orthodox Jewish homes. If a, a Jewish child becomes a Christian, they will say, you're dead to me. And they will actually act like they don't live, they live anymore. In the Middle East, you've probably seen on TV, the, the Arabs do the same. They'll take their sandal off and hit something that they disdain. But in Jesus' version, something else happens. <laughs> in Jesus' version, the father saw his contrary son coming in a distance. And the Bible says he pulls up his skirt and he starts running toward his son. The son falls on his, on his face and goes, Dad, Dad, he didn't beg to be restored. Dad, just please hire me, hire me. The father holds up his hand and everybody at the gate gasps. And all the children gasp. And the father says, my son was dead and now he is alive. He was lost and now he's found. Servant, servant, go get his robe out of his closet. So the servant goes, well, I'm going to go get the robe out of the closet. Get the, he gets the robe. He's going, what is he giving the robe for? Why does he want the robe? This is from his closet. This is for his son. This is not for a hired servant. I don't understand that. He gets there and he goes, Servant, go back and get the ring. I gotta go back and get the ring. So he runs over here, gets the ring. When he's gonna get the ring? This is his. This is his family ring. He can't be doing this. This is not right. This is not right. Hey, go back and get some sandals. Oh dear, he's gotta go get sandals. Why does he need sandals? He might run away again. I can't get. I can't do that. Is he gonna hit him with it? What's he gonna do? The listeners were turned upside down. This is not right. The rebellious, contrary children now are going to run away in rebellion all over, all over Israel. They're going to run amok and destroy the authority of the fathers. Religious people are perplexed. What are we going to do? Years of rabbinical tradition has been torn down, turned on its ear. You know why? Because the value of one, the value of one boy. The value of one boy. Incredible value of one. Jesus was the one that said about the shepherd who left the 99 and went for the one. Now he's showing them that story. With a story they knew. But he put a new ending so that they could see the Father instead of the law. Now, this brings us to the compliant brother. Here's what's going on. Hey, what's going on here? Music, dancing, food. It's not my birthday. What is going on? Oh, son, your brother is home and we're celebrating. He's home? He's home. What are you talking about? Son, we killed the, the calf that we were saving for Christmas. Middle of July, we're serving that calf. What? The Christmas, the, the Christmas calf? I, I don't understand. What are you doing? Look what he did to you. He dishonored you. He acted like you were dead. What is your problem, Dad? 
It's your son. That boy of yours has dishonored you. Instead of like me, I've slaved for you all of my life. I've done everything you ever told me, and you never gave me a goat. He got prostitutes. I didn't even get a goat. And he spent money on prostitutes. You haven't even given me a goat for a party. Let me tell you something. All of a sudden, it's revealed. That boy doesn't love his father. He's just waiting for the proper time so that he can get his father's stuff. I've been slaving for you. That boy of yours is no longer his brother. It's that boy of yours. He didn't love his father. Listen, Jesus said, if you love God, you'll love people. If he had loved his father, he would have had the same father's love for his brother. He would have said, Dad, you're right. This, he, I'm going to rejoice. He didn't love his father. He just, listen, he was just biding his time. He was securing his inheritance. He had the same disdain for his father as his brother. It was just secret. He didn't publicly show it till now. Listen, the father valued both sons exactly the same. No matter what their performance was, compliant performance, contrary performance, he valued them both. His love was the same. He valued them each as his favorite. He claimed to please his father for years. At the time... But at that time, it was just a show until dad died and then he could claim his inheritance. Both sons were prodigal in a sense. One was hidden and one was visible. One openly, one secretly. Both were driven by an event to have their sinful life exposed. Both failed the test. Listen to that. Both failed the test. But both were loved by their father equally. Where do you fit into this parable? Where do you fit into this parable? Which brother are you? How's your relationship with the father? How do you view his love for you? I'll remind you. Malachi says... And he shall turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and the fathers to their children. We live in a generation, no, a world that in a sense is heavenly fatherless because they are earthly fatherless. But it is God's desire to value every person the same. Everyone. And to show his love. I'm a father. I, I'm not Morgan's father, but I'm a father. And I felt, I, playing this part, I, I'm thinking, could that have been Lindsay? Could that have been Betsy? Could that be Charlotte or Sophia or, or Juliet or Grant? Could, could, the value of one. Our father sees us not as a judge, 
trying to uphold some law. He sees us with the value of one. No matter where he finds you, in the church parking lot, the church parking lot, Lauren, Sam, in the church parking lot, or in the gutter, in the gutter, in the middle of, middle of nowhere, Tiff, in the broken places of life, in the broken places, the value of one. He bent down and picked up you and me. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask my actors, if you will, if you'll just come out for a minute and and stand at the altar. Did a good job, guys. Thank you. I tell you what I want to do. Pastor Jay, could I get you to come and stand in the middle here? I'm going to also ask in just a moment, I'm going to ask the rest of the prayer team to come up here. But this is what I want to say to you before we go. The Father right now wants you to join this parable. Parables were so you could find a person in that parable that you connect with. Today, God wants you to join in this parable. Prayer team, if you'll come and stand here. We're going to just all stand together if we can. If you'll stand, everyone. We're just going to play. I'm going to ask you if you'll make your way down here and say, I need the Father. I need to know the love of the Father. I need to learn to show the love of the Father. I need the Father to forgive me. I need the Father. I need the Father to show me how to forgive someone else. I need to see the Father today. Perhaps you're broken about somebody who's a prodigal. Somebody will agree with you in prayer about that. Perhaps you're a prodigal. The altar's open for you. Father, I pray in these moments, I pray you will give everyone in this place a picture of the Father and the value of one. Amen. Would you step out and come? Just come and let someone pray for you. Maybe someone's on your heart. Maybe you feel that way, would you? Just come on and step out and come. They're waiting for you. Would you? Step out and come. Come on. That's right. Altar's open for you.